Let's invite the Lord to be with us this evening. Majestic and great God, we fall before you. You are mighty, victorious, powerful, pure, holy, sacrificial. The great creator of all the world and of everyone in this room. And you shrink down to us and minister to us face to face as faulty men, faulty women. And you touch us with your spirit. It's amazing that a God so great comes to us so personally and so directly. We cannot thank you enough and we pray for everyone here in this hall, for those that are saved and those that are lost, for those that are in this room and for those not in this room. And we ask for your words to be spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a changing world. We live in a world that I sometimes don't even recognize today. A world that has a definitive focus. It's on self. It's on decreased harshness, more comfort, more ease. It makes me wonder. We should be more sensitive. We should be more relaxed. We should maybe consider what the world says and stop being so preachy. Be more accessible. Don't worry so much about hurting people. Or worry about hurting people's feelings and instead just let me read it to you today. I heard it in the forum today. Here's what it said. This is more speaking about millennials, but maybe it's about you too. We don't want to be preached at. We want to be mentored. So maybe instead of preaching, we'll move to something more personal, more soft and gentle. We want to feel valued. How about that? Let's get soft. Let's get, what else? Let's get weak so no one has to feel like they're weak. Let's everyone get weak. Let's not worry about standards. Let's just all become dull. That is the world that you live in. Free speech? No. I cannot believe that free speech is going away in our universities. And make no mistake, it's going to seep into your neighborhood. Some of you are really uncomfortable right now. I am too, frankly. (laughs) The point is, we like to be equal with God. We don't want to be shouted down. 
We want to be told that we're good no matter what we do. We just want to be comfortable and at ease. But you know what? Call me old school. I'm not into it. So I'm tucking my shirt back in, putting my shoes back on. Let's read Hebrews 5, 10 through 14. Speaking of Jesus now, verse 10. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Society is reverting to milk. And the question I have for you is, is the church, or are you, in a world that wants it for you, are you reverting to milk? We talked about it in our class that all this talk of holiness is often intimidating, and I get it. When we define and talk about a holy God, I start to cringe, I start to wither, I start to want to back away because I know how unholy I am at times, how undeserving I I am of the salvation that I've received and the righteousness that is put upon me just because of Christ's love, not because of my works or my actions, because of the work on the cross. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God, a two-edged sword. Ask yourself, those of you of parents that are milk drink, uh, parents of children that are milk drinkers right now, and I'm talking about the young kids, would you hand them a sharp sword? No, you wouldn't. The word we just read said that people that are drinking milk are not capable, are not able to wield a sword. The last verse I want to read for now is Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And you may not think that this verse fits in with the other two, but I guarantee you it does. 
Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Why is that way broad? Tons of traffic. Lots of lanes. Let's take a road trip together today, shall we? It's going to be kind of a a long road trip. But the Lord confirmed to me three times today through individual events that while sometimes a message comes to me and I, I feel like backing off, he made it very clear talk about the road trip. We're going to make a journey with a man and while he's fictional on a certain level, he's not fictional. His name is Everett Mann. M-A-N-N. You get it, don't you? And you have to ask yourself as we go through this journey with him, at what stage, because he's going to go through a lot of different points of a life, at what stage of his journey are you today? And while there may be some that complain that I'm telling a story for endless minutes today, that's just the way it's going to be because this is, if you will, a modern-day parable and you have to ask yourself exactly where am I in that story because I promise you I'm probably going to cover everybody in this room at least 95%. Everett, was an average man born into the world. He walked down the road of life just like everyone else. And my friends, it was the broad road, the big road, the super highway of life, and everyone's on it. Let's go forward. Tons of traffic. People at every different speed. And the weird thing that ever started to recognize was he's walking down the road, but each subsequent lane going further over, there was faster and faster vehicles. There was carts, there was bicycles, there was nice cars and supercars. And he noticed that the road had a slightly downhill tilt. So it wasn't a hard walk. He just walked and walked and walked. started to read the signs north another sign said the eternal city he's like sounds good went down the road a little further was walking and not making that much progress compared to a lot of other people but there was other people walking as well and he saw a sign that said three star resort 143 miles ahead not bad. Walked a few more miles because I thought it's going to take me a while to get there. Walked a few more miles and he saw another sign. It said five-star resort 665.7 miles ahead. He thought, that's going to take me a while. But I like the idea of a five-star resort. Continued walking. Then one day he noticed 
a sign that said, free carts, two miles ahead. He walked his pace a little faster, got to the, the vendor there. He said, I'd love to have a cart because this thing is downhill. It's awesome. They said, take a cart. What do I owe you? It's free. Enjoy the ride. Like, wow, this is amazing. Sat in the cart, and all of a sudden he was going three miles an hour, like walking speed, then five, then ten. Then all of a sudden he's going about, he figured 30 miles an hour. I'm rolling right along here. Very nice. He was starting to pass by some people walking. He thought, this is excellent. This is progress now. I'm going to get to that three-star resort in no time. Perfect. Then he saw another sign. Free cars, 30 miles ahead. Yeah, I'll be there in no time. There's one element about the road, though, that he didn't really realize. Every once in a while, and there's no warning, the road goes up a little bit, just a little bit of a hill, so you can't see exactly where the road's going. And he's also told once in a while there's a little turn, a little blind turn you can't quite see. So he's rolling down at about 30 miles an hour. Things seem to be going pretty good. Then all of a sudden he came up that first hill. He's like, whoa, what's going on? As, as he went over the hill, just about to see over, all of a sudden there was a large expanse of deep sand. And at 30 miles an hour, little squirrely wheels on that cart, um, there was nothing he could do. Those wheels sunk in. He went flying out of the cart sand in his mouth and his face and it was like really not the greatest situation um, but he thought well that wasn't too bad then all of a sudden here behind him screeching like crazy and he saw a beautiful car it was a Lexus IS not that big but comfortable tried to screech to a halt couldn't do it went sideways into the stand and the car flipped and rolled about eight times right next to him no seatbelts people came flying out the windows it was horrendous and they were laying there some of them bloodied and some of them hurt dislocated shoulders and he he looked at them and he right away noticed circling high above him vultures slowly descending he dusted himself off, climbed up a little bit, and figured he's going to go down the road a little more. And, and just then, a man came out of the woods on the side and said, hey, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm, I'm going to the eternal city. No, no, listen, listen, don't do it. Come with me. There's this little pathway here. It's marked in red, and it goes right through the woods. Come with me, please. And Everett thought about it, and he looked at the path. It was like very narrow, tons of underbrush, tons of growth. He's like, where does this path go? The eternal city. He's like, no, thank you. I'm going this way because it's much easier. And the man said, do me a favor. Take this sword with you. You're going to need it. And Everett doesn't refuse a gift, so he put the sword on, buckled it in. Not too bad. Looks pretty good. It's got a scabbard to hold it. Doesn't bother me. Let's go. He started walking down the road, and then he got to that point because he had been traveling to that place where the free cars came. He's like, oh, perfect. I'm going to get myself a free car now. I will not have as much trouble because if I go into the sand, I'll just go straight. I'll be careful, and I'll be a little bit careful when I come along those, those little bumps in the road, those curves. Walked through the lot, looked around, said, Mustang, GT, convertible, let's go. 
Any charge? No, sir. There you go. Thank you. Fired up that bad boy. You know how it sounds, don't you, boys? That deep burble. You can hear it even better when the roof's down. Lower the roof. Off he went. Three, four lanes over. Now he's going. 50 miles an hour. 60 miles an hour. Man, that five-star resort, I could make it there in day, half a day, day and a half, if I really push it. Next thing he knows, 120 miles an hour with ease. Beautiful. It's almost 200 for those of you in Canada. So he's tooling along down this road. Things are going pretty good. And yet there's still people passing him. Lambos, Ferraris, exotics that he didn't even recognize. And then it happened. He saw a turn coming up in the road. He's like, oh boy, I see what's coming. I'm going to prepare myself. Started to hit the brakes, but the turn came up so fast, he really didn't have a chance to brake enough. So he said, I'm going to go in straight. And when he came around the corner, instead of sand, this time it was a big, muddy bog with all kinds of fallen trees. And he went right into the bog, right into a tree, and the front of the car was destroyed. No airbags, no seatbelts. Sorry. Smashed into the face, his into the windshield and in the steering wheel. And he climbed out of that car that was destroyed. Smoke coming out of the hood. Licked the blood off his lip. Was glad to be standing there. His shoulder felt really bad. And he looked ahead and he felt his feet sinking into the mud a little bit. It was about waist deep. And what was cool was at the top of the hill in front of him, where the road straightened out again, he saw another sign that said, Supercars, seven miles ahead, plus. Single party and food, filet, lobster, unlimited buffet. So he's slogging through the mud, saying, This is going to be good, and I got I to gotta take a break when I get to that place, man. And then from behind him, he heard this horrible sound. It was terrifying. And he looked and he saw this creature hurtling towards him on all four. And it was like a giant steroid-loaded hyena. But it wasn't a hyena because it was much bigger, much more aggressive, large claws, and it had these large leathery scales on it about the size of a man's hand that were like an inch and a half thick. And he just sees it soon enough. He goes to reach for his sword. He's like, at least I've got a sword. And he goes to pull it out. And it's, there's mud and there's grime. And he's pulling it out. And finally he gets it out just as the thing gets there. And he raises the sword. And he brings it down on the back of that horrible creature. And the sword literally bounced off the, the, the scales on the back. And that thing sunk its mouth, his teeth, right into his thigh. He stood there as his leg was being devoured. He started to take the hilt of the sword and pound into the face and the eyes of this beast. And finally the beast released him and took with him a chunk of his thigh meat. He instantly took his shirt off and wrapped up his leg and he gimped and limped his way out as the predator went and bothered somebody else. 
he was injured, losing blood. And he went this time over to the side of the road. And what he saw was a little red path. A small handwritten sign that said, True North, Eternal City. He thought to himself, you know, maybe the truth of those signs, maybe it wasn't really all it's cracked up to be. I'm going to try this path. So he walked down that narrow path in the deep, dark woods and tried to make his way through the bushes and branches. And he thought, you know what, maybe I'll use this blade. He pulled out the blade and started hacking away at the small branches. And it was slow going, very slow going. Took him three or four or five hits to get through the smallest finger-sized branches. But it was thick. The undergrowth was terrible. Vines coming up everywhere. He worked for a few hours, maybe went a quarter mile, and rested for the night. In the morning when he got up, he looked to put the blade and the, the belt back on, and he saw there's a little pouch there. He opened up, there's a little sharpening stone. He said, oh, maybe I can make the blade a little sharper. So he spent about 15, 20 minutes going after it, got some of the mud off, a little bit of the rust that had caked on there off, and looked a little bit better, and he tried to make his way. And uh, he lasted about an hour, a little bit better progress, maybe went a half mile. And this went on for a while. What he noticed was a lot of times when he stopped to rest or sleep, by the time he woke up in the morning, the vines were already wrapping around his legs and his arms and he had to kind of break himself away and, and cut off those things with the blade. He wondered how far the eternal city was because he felt like this progress is really, really slow. About halfway through the day, he heard a sound coming towards him on the path, towards him, not where he had come from, but towards him, and he wondered, what is that? Didn't sound like an animal or anything, it just sounded like a whooshing sound. And it got closer and closer, and he started backing up, and it was closer and closer. All of a sudden, he saw kind of a man coming towards him, and all of a sudden, there was a huge swipe of a blade, and a ton of branches fell down, and this guy steps into the clearing in front of him, enormous. 6'5", 280, shredded. No fat on his body. Arms bigger than my legs. Huge. The man said, I'm Victor. And put out his hand. He simply turned and said, follow me. And all of a sudden, he starts walking at a brisk pace and he can walk briskly because the path that he cleared coming this way was wide. This guy was slicing with two swipes, wide, wide path. And Everett was looking and he's looking at branches bigger than a man's arm, sliced through clean with one swipe. So this guy's unreal. They walked for a few hours. 
And as they walked, he could tell that even though the man had just come this way, the undergrowth was so thick and heavy, Victor had to start cutting again, and he just did it. And they walked at a brisk pace because he was unbelievably strong and his blade. That blade was razor sharp. Towards the end of the day, Victor said, Everett, go in front of me for the last half hour. And Everett went in front of him and hacked away with his skinny arms and his bad technique and his dull blade. And Victor watched for a half hour. They went to rest for the night. And Victor said, "Um, how you feeling? Everett said, every bone in my body aches, every muscle is sore, my hands are raw. Victor said, give me your sword. Get some rest. And as Victor took the sword from him, Everett looked in Victor's face and he, this big, strapping, monstrous, powerful man, his lip was quivering and he was tearing up. And he could tell that Everett could see him, so he grabbed the sword and said, get some rest, and he went away, 20 steps away. And Everett fell asleep instantly. And in the morning he woke up, he had to snap off those vines that had grown over him. He looked around to see where Victor was sleeping, and Victor wasn't sleeping nearby, so he saw where he'd gone the night before. He walked over there, and he saw Victor there. Victor was huddled over. And he said, what is going on? And Victor didn't respond. And he came a little closer, looked over Victor's shoulder. Victor was drenched in sweat, and there was a pile of metal shavings in front of him. And Victor stood up, handed him the sword, and said, be careful. It's really, really sharp. Days pass. They're following the red line through the forest, and it's dense. And they're taking turns. Victor for two or three hours straight, wide pathway, and Everett for a half hour, then 40 minutes, then an hour. And Victor says to him, you know, you're not limping anymore. Everett looks down at his leg where there was a large, not just a gaping wound, but a a cavity where muscle was missing. And while he saw that there was scar tissue on the skin, the muscle was nearly completely refilled in its place. And he was like astounded. He started walking. He's like, wow, that's amazing. More days passed, and little by little, with the tutoring and instruction from Victor, Everett started to go hours and hours and started to notice instead of three hacks at a big branch, he was starting to get to the point where one swat, one swipe, one hit. Every night when they rested, blade against blade, they took turns sharpening. And Everett asked him, 
when I handed you my sword that first day, you almost wept. And Victor said, I did weep for hours. Because to me, there's nothing more seriously sad than a sword that is unused, a sword that is not sharp, a sword that's wasting away in a scabbard. They got to a point where the red path went over the superhighway, small wooden bridge. And as they walked over, they could see cars speeding by underneath. And Everett was like, man, there's the road again. And Victor said, make no mistake. You see that sign over there that says Eternal City? It's a lie. And Everett said, yeah, I kind of figured that out. You see the one that says five-star resort just beyond that? It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. All those road signs except for the freebies about destination, all of them are a lie. And as they came down the bridge to continue on the path, Victor said, hold on a second. And Victor started flagging people down, trying to make them stop. And as soon as he did that, Everett thought to himself, that's who all those people were with swords making me try to slow down, waving me. Oh. And he saw Victor talk to a few people, convince them perhaps to follow the small red path. And Victor turned to him and says, I've, I've got to leave you now. And just about he said time he said those words, because they were nearby to a desolation bog, Everett saw two of the predator beasts coming towards them behind Victor. He said, Victor, turn around, the beasts. He was terrified. He started to back away, and Victor turned and with large strides walked towards the beasts with those large scales upon their back, an inch and a half thick, thick leather that the saw bounced off, the sword bounced off when Everett tried it last time. And Victor raised his sword and flicked it twice. Boom, boom! Both of them dead, severed right through the torso. Everett was humbled. Astonished. And Victor said, you can do the same. The sword, your sword, can do the same. It's now your time to rescue. It's your time to lead. It's your time to clear the path. Follow the path. True north. The power is in the sword. Never forget it. Months pass. Everett's had many ex- amazing experiences, and every night he spends time sharpening. 
Every day he tries to find and help people do the best he can, but he's always clearing underbrush and following the path. Hears all kinds of stories, meets all kinds of people. Then one day he's walking along the path, clearing a path, and he notices the temperature dropping drastically, and it's strange to him. And he comes out in a clearing and he finds half a dozen people sitting there on the path. They look discouraged. They look exhausted. And he's like, what's going on here? I said, well, look over there. And he walks down the path a little further and he sees a giant waterfall completely frozen, about 120 feet high. And the path, the red path, leads right to that waterfall. He says, what's going on? He said, well, you tell us. Can't follow the path anymore. It's no good. We've been trying to chip a little foothold and climb this thing. We've had four people get hurt, getting, you know, 30, 40 feet up, and they fall off. We've tried to go around. There's no path around. He wants to go back to the wide road. Everett said, we're not doing that. And Everett said, show me your swords. And one by one, he looked at the stores, swords in various states of rust and decay and dullness and disrepair. So Everett started to pray, and he borrowed every sword, one a day. And he sharpened those swords to a razor's edge. He remembered what Victor said. Follow the road. The sword has the power. He remembered what he was like, how he used to be small and weak, and that now he was a powerhouse just as big as Victor. And he kept going over those words. Power is in the sword. It's still freezing cold. But the final day of sharpening, he's working so hard at it, he takes off his cloak because he's sweating bullets. And shirtless, he walks by all the six sitting there. And they're like, what is this crazy man going to do now? He holds the sword with two hands above his head and points it forward. And he screams, the power is in the sword! And he runs right towards the frozen waterfall. And as he gets to it, he drives that sword right into the face of it. And then he takes the hilt and he starts twisting with all his might. And all of a sudden, there's a giant resounding crack. And that crack travels all the way up the waterfall, 120 feet. And he pulls the sword out and he backs away. And all of a sudden, the cracks start spreading and spreading and pieces start falling. He backs up further and the entire waterfall, frozen, crumbles to the ground. And all that's left is a beautiful little waterfall tumbling down. And they all gasp because now they see the path goes right next to the waterfall in a cleft of rock.
And they follow Everett to the cleft and continue on the road to the eternal city. Which Everett are you? It's a very convicting thing for me. And I don't know exactly where I'm at, but I guarantee you my sword is often far less than razor sharp. And I find myself on that red pathway hacking its small branches three and four times, and it's just not right. You see, on the red road, there's all this difficulty, right? The narrow road. The difficulty is all these plants that are growing feverishly, the plants of the world, the cares that want to entangle you and slow you down. You've got to slash at them every day. The use of the word in our lives is those slashing motions, adherence to it, absorbing it, spending time reading it, but most importantly, taking what the Word says and applying it on a daily basis with the people at work, with the people at school, with my family at home, with myself. Get convicted by the Word and respond to it. That's another slice. Makes the path easier. You see the beauty of proper sword usage? We read it, right? A baby is not using the sword, can't use it effectively. But someone by reason of exercise that uses it all the time, what happens? They get spiritually massive and strong. And a beast, a predator comes your way in life. When you're ready, you just slice it in half. No problem. But if you're not ready, it's gnawing on your leg and you're beating it with the hilt of a dull sword. Not optimal at all. And as Christians, the narrow path crosses over the broad road once in a while. And it's our duty to flag people down best we can. Do you real best we can? You realize that Eastern Camp is that place every year? We got people here streaming down that wide road, high rate of speed, some walking, some in Lambos. And we're trying to flag you down, begging you to understand where you're headed. It's not the eternal city. It's a lie. And some of you today are shifting into fifth gear, then sixth gear, overdrive. I want to go to the five-star resort. Doesn't exist, people. Doesn't exist. I have had and have heard of people, Christians here, that have been sharpening each other today. Today. When a short sword gets sharpened, what happens to it? It's not easy on the sword. There's a pile of shavings at the end of the day. It's not really comfortable. But it's part 
of the growth and strengthening process. Even just the act of sharpening makes you stronger. And then you go onto the path and you slice better. You move better. You're more agile. The predators aren't as scary. Had a small experience as I encouraged a young man And as I encouraged him, I said, but here's one thing that you could do better. I saw in his face a slight twinge. Because that hurt. In spite of the encouragement, when I said it could have been a little bit better. I did not like to see that twinge at all. But it was some of that. Some sharpening. So we do it. Heard of a conversation today. It was one of my confirmations for this message. About two people that got together hadn't seen each other in a while. And it was not an easy conversation because it was raw and it was true, but it was founded upon love and it was sharpening, my friends. It was sharpening. And we can walk away from those situations every day if we want. We can see opportunities to sharpen each other or lift someone up that's laying on the path, the red path, covered in vines. We say, you know what? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? And we walk away. No. No, we say the hard words in love. We take out the knife. We cut the vines. We say, the world is overtaking you again. Don't let it happen. Walk the path with me. I'll clear the way. Walk behind me. And you take a turn. But I can't end this evening without a little more discussion for those of you on the wide road. Are you on the wide road? Who are you? Are you on the wide road right now? What kind of car do you have? I'm sure you traded in that cart that just uses gravity. Are you going fast? How much faith do you have in those road signs, Eternal City, Five Star Resort. Really? Really? Because the world has given you proof every day that these things are solid and sure and great. But the world never tells you about the desolation sand, the desolation bog, the desolation sharp rocks or the cliff at the end. It doesn't tell you about that, about the carnage, about the vultures, about the predators. It doesn't tell you at all about that. You have to find out for yourself. And maybe you haven't experienced that. that. Maybe you're going 120 saying, life is good, roof is down. Yeehaw. Can I promise you something? Your desolation moment is coming. Might be next week, might be in 10 years. But I promise you, it's coming. And there's no eternal city 
on the end of that wide road at all. Some of you came to camp probably pretty young. You're on the wide road and this year at camp someone handed you a sword. Someone said, you need the word of God in your life. Start reading it. Come on the small red path with me. And you buckle that sword on. You're like, you know what? But this is so much easier. Look at this wide road. It's paved. It's smooth. It's downhill. It's beautiful. See, the problem, though, is is that when you're on that road in whatever vehicle you're in, you are soft and you are weak and your sword is dull. And when you need it, it's little more than a flat piece of metal that won't vanquish anything. Second Timothy 1.9 says this, who had saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. You see this? This is that God has called us not to our own works. The slicing is not works that earning us anything. The slicing is simply utilization of the word in our lives in every aspect. And that action of use creates spiritual strength. And that spiritual strength and ability to walk the road allows us to get the idea correct that we can make it to the eternal city. That's powerful. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be afraid of that concept. Stand up. Be brave. We heard in the forum today. Nip it in the bud. You see a problem, a struggle, or something. Talk to that person. I guarantee you, if you walk up to the person with a heart of love and a motivation of love and say, what's going on? I want to help you. Even if, they res- even if they snap at you, if your motive is love and you reach out in that way, it'll reach them on some level. And we can't afford to ignore it. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Many of us, probably most of us in this room, on the wide road, on the narrow road, all carry a sword. And the big question for us tonight, is it sharp? Is it sharp? If it's not sharp, we're all in trouble. We need to have in our hearts, 
in our churches with each other, a desire, a need to exercise the word and be sharp. Let's bow and pray. Good, good Father, you're a shield, you're a defender. Our hope is only in you. You're the only one we can turn to. You're a protection. It's in you that we have our hope. And Father, we miss it sometimes. And Lord, Lord, we're not hating sin enough. We're not fleeing temptation. Father, we're comfortable with rusty swords. And we just pray right now, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us a hatred for sin, that we would run and flee the lusts of this world, the pride of life, the things that we want. Father, give us the courage to come to you boldly, with confidence, knowing that our hope is in you. Father, give us the courage to turn our back on this world, to turn our back on that wide road. Give us the perseverance, Father, to sharpen our swords, to hold each other up, to walk hand in hand down that road that you've set before us. Lord, there's a lot of young people here. Father, there's a lot of people that that don't know you as their savior. Give them the courage to surrender fully their lives to you, to turn to you, to cry out for you. Lord, some of us need it too. It's not enough to call ourselves Christians. Father, we need to surrender our lives and give us the courage to do so. Lord, give us the courage to be invisible. Give us the courage, Lord, to let go of our wants and our desires and our way and make it about you and your way. Father, separate us for your use that we would be holy, not just in position, but in the way we live and in our pursuits every second of our lives. Help us to walk as far as we can from the mud of this world so that we can walk close with you. We pray in the precious name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.